Hello, and welcome back uh, to the Real Professionals DreadX Collection Collection, the collection of our episodes about the DreadX Collection. Uh, as always, I'm Ted, your air quotes real professional, uh, although I'm running double shift as a, a real professional and an air quotes real professional for all of these ones, because uh, this is uh, our our project. Our baby is the uh, DreadX Collection. So if uh, you haven't been on Twitter and you're not aware what the DreadX Collection is, uh, it's a pretty cool project that we got here going on here at uh, DreadXP. So what we did is, uh, you know, with these with these trying times and uh, a lot of people being out of work and stuff, we figured that it was a good time to try to get a bunch of indie developers together to make a cool collaboration anthology series kind of project uh, in, you know, a pretty short time frame. So the, we went to 10 different uh, talented developers and said, hey, can you make us uh, the playable teaser, the PT for the, the game project of your dreams? in just seven days. And they all said, I can make it in five. And then they took 10. Uh, and uh, the, the no, I mean, I've, I've been really super impressed with what people have been getting to me in such a short time frame. It's, it's really awesome um, to, to see this, this project all come together. And I really hope that all of you out there like it too. I mean, we got, uh, we got, you know, uh, David Shemansky who did Dusk. We got Airdorf who did Faith. We have uh, Zalavir Nelson who did, uh, uh, airport for aliens currently run by dogs these are all their previous games of course for our collection they've all come up with new titles and um you know like i said i've been really super impressed with how these games all feel like their own games but i could also see them becoming their larger projects and uh hey and the good thing is too uh, the seven dollars that you spend on this package two bucks of that goes to doctors without borders and uh honestly and in times like this seven bucks for 10 games and some of them are like kind of long actually like uh Kyle, his game, uh, Malik, the classified X, his game takes like two hours to beat for, which is like for a $7 game is already like longer just for his than a lot of games you're going to be getting. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just say that I, I'm, it, it's super awesome to have been able to, to work with these guys on this, uh, this project. So, you know, 10 developers, 10 games took them seven days to make it only seven bucks. And two of those dollars go to doctors without borders and they're all, wildly different horror games so if you want to learn more about the dreadx collection there's going to be a link in the description below uh hopefully by the time these go live we'll have a trailer ready uh, as i said in the previous episode the, the the problem with working with developers this talented is uh i was expecting them to all screw up and you know not have their projects in on time so i'd have more time to get the trailer together and the steam page going but uh, a fool has been made of me and they all did their their jobs in a, a timely manner and uh, so now we're 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 getting all those pieces together. So thank you so much for all of our fans that have uh, you know bared with us through getting the store page up, and and thank you for everyone that's been following and uh, you know liking and subscribing and all that stuff. It, it really means a lot to all of us here because we really think we got a great package for you. Um, the the one of the great contributions of that package being uh, Hand of Doom, which has been made by uh, Torpal Duke, who will be joining me today. And uh, so without further ado, DJ. Drop that sick beat. Ooh, I got a little spooky on that one.
Alrighty, welcome back, everyone. Uh, Reed, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good. I'm I'm good. It's uh it's been a hell of a couple weeks here. Yeah, same here. It's um, you know, I, I've I've like independently from all of the developers, like one by one, they can't kind of like I can't believe we actually did this, you know. <laughs> yeah, for for sure. At first, it was like seven days. That's probably doable. And after a while, I was like, oh. Oh, this is this is harder than I thought, but but ended up being fine, which is really cool. And it's been really cool seeing the both the development of everyone's project and the finished version. It's like we we did a week, we did these in a week. That's crazy. Yeah, I know, it, and it is actually kind of crazy to see some of the work that's come out of it. I mean, like uh, you know, the Pony Factory, uh, the that's Dusk Dev's David uh, Shemansky's game, is like like a like a game game. <laughs> Bro, I don't know how he does that. He posted his like first little gameplay snippet, and it's like, you did what, bro? It's been like two days. What are you talking about? This is, <laughs> this is like a sixty dollar game. Yeah. I have like a cube that moves around like on an empty plane, and that's it. Like, what are you doing? Well, he he cheats because he uses a grayscale filter, so everything just looks good. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. That's definitely it. That's it. He's not talented at all. It's just the grayscale filter for sure. It wasn't three D models with AI. No grayscale, easy. I'm yeah, sure when we interviewed him, I was like, so what's your secret? He's like, basically grayscale. It's like, whoa. And it's like, Honestly, yeah, there's a, there's a setting on uh, Unity when you're making the game. If it goes to grayscale, it actually just makes the game for you. It's pretty cool. Honestly, after he said that, I was like mad. I was like, man, I want to do grayscale too, but I'm just copying him at this point, so I can't do that. Yeah, unfortunately, you had to uh, copy way older games. Yeah, I had <laughs> I had to put color in my game, which instantly made it worse. Um, but yeah, it's like copying is a really good word. Nothing original here. <laughs> um, everything good's already been done just don't don't make anything new that's my motto <laughs> well yeah because you're making a, a hand of doom over here which is a, like a druid simulator you want to go ahead and give us your quick pitch sure uh, i'll make up a quick pitch on the spot that sounds good <laughs> um i don't know about druid although i do like druids um it's a game that was inspired both by uh, early PC RPGs, like 90s, early 2000s, as well as uh, Doom Metal, the the, the metal genre. Um, there's like two songs in particular that inspired this game. But I was like, I can make a game that, that makes me feel like this. Um, I think I got close, which is nice. Um, I do like the word, the, the term Druid Simulator. That's good. Uh, yeah. you, play as, you play as a wizard. Um, you find a, a grimoire, a book of spells. Uh, there's different like spell components words uh you combine them in different combinations and if you combine them just right you might cast a, a little spell a little incantation there and uh use the different spells to do different things in the game to uh progress through uh puzzles i guess you'd say mm-hmm. yeah and it's um some of the combinations also do spooky things there's a little there's a little spook in there a little sprinkled throughout mm-hmm. i mean it is a horror game so oh yeah that's right it's a horror game I mean, it's at yeah. least it's supposed to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that the the premise for it is pretty cool because you got these combinations of spells. You kind of have to like learn what they do and like how to use them in different situations. And um, yeah, like the it, it's it's one of those that like you're gonna want to try different things in different places to just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I love games like that. Um, I love games where it's like, hey, go see what happens. And you just you throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. That's how I run my life. Um, <laughs> only half joking there. Um, but it's just it's just fun. It's like a Magicka. Have you played that game? Oh yeah. 
it's, that, that game's crazy with it. That's that's insane. Um, dial dial that down a few notches, and that's a little okay. That's I was gonna say that's what I was going for, but that's maybe shooting a little too high. Um, Magic is cool. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, I mean, Magicka is. Uh, I think your game is less janky than Magicka, though. <laughs> J- jank can be good. I do like me a little a little jank. I mean, Magicka is a jank simulator. That's like kind of what it is. Well, it's in like, that uh, game, it's like you can do anything. So you combine spells wrong and you like obliterate your whole team. But yeah. it's funny. Um, that's great. That's one of the problems I have with Magicka because I'm not a fun person. So like uh, <laughs> when I play it with other people and they're like, look at the fire list. I was like, no, you must use the correct spells. It's every the boss fights. Like I'm just that guy. Well, at least you play with other people. I played it by myself and it lasted like 20 minutes. And I was like, this sucks, dude. I'm out of here. <laughs> like it's you need friends so that it's like funny by yourself it's like oh i didn't push the perfect i didn't do like the perfect piano solo on my keyboard to beat this boss i can't win <laughs> yeah i mean it's a it's a but I, I will say that like it is basically like i said jank simulator it's like uh kind of like goat simulator was it's like if, if you're gonna get upset by the uh the, the 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 overall uh lack of balance then you're like kind of playing it wrong <laughs> exactly it's like you're not supposed to be having you're not supposed to like be winning you're supposed to like see what happens and laugh at it. Yeah, unlike uh, Hand of Doom, which has zero uh, jank, 100% balanced, perfect game. <laughs> Correct. Yes, <laughs> I agree. But uh, you actually have an interesting aesthetic for your game, um, which is this kind of uh, like it's a God. People have to think all the way back to the original Might and Magic, and not even talking about Heroes of Might and Magic, just talking about Might and Magic. You know? Yeah. My my inspirations for that was like Might and Magic like four and five I think purely on the UI the gameplay is not quite the same. Um, there's just something I really love about you have this whole screen like your entire computer screen is taken up by the game, and like thirty percent of that is the actual gameplay. You have this tiny game window you got to like squint to see what you're doing, but the rest of it's just like tons of like UI. And the UI art is like awesome. I love looking at the UI in Might and Magic and Heroes in Might and Magic. Um, but it's like you, your your game is real small. We got them hardware limitations to think about. Um, it's just a, it's a cool aesthetic, and that's what I wanted to capture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean I think you definitely did because uh, after seeing your game, I went and redownloaded Heroes on Might and Magic three. Yeah, there we go. Oh, oh god, dude, I actually fell down a pretty bad uh, Heroes of Might and Magic rabbit hole over the past week because um, I redownloaded seven. And uh, I remember seven being garbage, like really bad, um, because I think that uh, six was was good, and I really loved five. Um, fun fun story. The guys, one of the guys that made uh, Heroes Five, also they're the people that are making uh, the uh, Pathfinder games, the Pathfinder really? Kingmaker and the new Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. Yes, that's cool. Um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, so it's when we had our uh, PAX East interview. Uh, which Jesse was there for. Uh, Jesse, you, you still alive? I was there for it, and I'm yep. there for this. Hey, uh, <laughs> what what is uh, Heroes of Might and Magic like play like? Because I've only played Dark Messiah. <laughs> uh, nothing like Dark Messiah. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> which is uh, fun. It plays, it, a lot like, like, it, it, it plays a lot like King's Bounty. I uh, haven't played that either. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I um, just know that uh, Might and Magic uh, always descends into uh, me doing the can-can and sending uh, various people flying into convenient yeah, so spike walls. Dark, Dark Messiah of Might and Magic is based off of the plot of Heroes of Might and Magic 5, 
Uh, and Heroes of Might and Magic is a game where you uh, you play as these as a team of heroes. Basically, it's like a strategy game, but it's a turn-based strategy game, kind of like Civilization, except instead of building your cities outwards like tiles, um, you build your city and it just stays as your city. And then you can recruit new units. And then when you fight, you go into these tactical turn-based battle maps where uh, you smash dragons together uh, until you win or lose, basically. <laughs> I'll try it out. I'll put it on my list. Reed, Reed is that a good encapsulation of Might and Magic? Heroes of Might and yeah, Magic? Yeah, pretty much. Um, smashing dragons is a lot of what you do in that game. That's the most interesting part for me is the actual battles. I'm, I don't play RTS games. That that game borderline RTS, but I think it's close enough. Um, it's it's like a big hex based strategy game, which I don't yeah. know. And it's like the battles are cool. The rest of it I'm not good at, which makes the battles not cool. Whenever I only have like thirty skeletons and my enemy has two hundred skeletons, and I'm like, dude, like, what am I supposed to do? You have to look up a strategy guide for how to play like level one. Um, yeah, I'm just no- I'm just a small brain gamer though, so that's me. Yeah, there's very little micro in the game. All, all gamers are. <laughs> True. Um, I, there's not a lot of micro in it, so it's not like uh, other strategy games like StarCraft where you can like dance your marines around in the perfect circle to evade the hydra, the mutalisks, spike lasers, whatever. It's like there's not a lot of that to it. Um, but it's one of the few games that I've played or the one of the few series of games where attrition, attrition actually matters because even if you like lose a battle, if you manage to take out half of their army... Like they can't get that back super easily. It's not like a total war where they just like regenerate their units over time. Like you have to like actually go back to your town to get more. And then there's a lot of interesting kind of the magic is super fun. Like, you know, figuring out that you can get an army of fire elementals and then just cast Armageddon over and over again because they're yeah. fire damage. It's like the, the, the joy of might and magic is finding your broken strategy and smashing it into other broken strategies. Yeah, Definitely. Um, I, I would say that the one thing that got me through, uh, like a full campaign of uh, Heroes of Might and Magic 3, actually, no, I, one level, I got through one level, it took a long time. Um, it's the art, the game looks incredible. Like, there's something I love so much about that era of PC games, like this, like Diablo 2 especially, big one there. It's the aesthetic of like 3D rendered characters as 2D sprites playing at like 25 frames a second sped up it's like that aesthetic is is like chef's kiss for me Mm -hmm. um because it's like it looks really cool and like dark and fantasy but it's like really like silly and stupid but it's still cool like all of that is what i like a lot yeah no i mean it's it's there's a reason it's so popular after so much time and people are still making games that look like that like Hand of Doom, that's why we're here. Yeah, yeah. there was one yeah. at uh, E3 I saw called Song of Something. It's basically a Heroes 2 remake, kind of, but in oh, its wow. own style. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that, even though I can't remember what the game's called. Yeah. I, actually, for my game, I did consider doing a similar style to that. Like, It was going to be like third person over the shoulder, but the animations were going to be like like that style, like the Diablo 2, where it's like a 3D animation, but I'm taking like an image sequence of it and doing like 25 frames a second. Mm-hmm. Um I, I ended up not doing that because it takes a long time to model, and I just went to like royaltyfreepictures.com and just like shrunk it to 64 pixels and called it a day. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel that. Okay, I found it. It's called Songs of Conquest. So if you're a Heroes of Might and Magic fan, go check out Songs of Conquest, and I can I can bring it full circle because we started off talking about how your game is less janky than Magicka, and another janky game is uh, Goat Simulator. 
So Songs of Conquest is being published by Coffee Stain Studios, who made Goat Simulator. And Goat Simulator made such an ungodly amount of money <laughs> that they're now publishing games. Buddy, did you just invent Six Degrees of Goat Simulator? Uh, I, I Six Degrees of Heroes of Might and Magic, yeah. There you go. We did it. We did it! Woohoo! Um... Oh, God, fuck. We're talking, supposed to talk about your game, right? Yeah, no, that's okay. We don't have to. Oh, fuck. We probably I'm just should. happy to be here. <laughs> well, um, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the aesthetic for your game, because you have um, a great uh, UI um, that you worked as a uh, with uh, another developer on, who yeah. uh, you actually have a little bit of a history with. Yes, it's true. Uh, so in my game, um, the uh, UI overlay, like, the, for the whole game, you see it, like the border around the screen and like between the buttons and everything. Uh, that was all made by Airdorf, another um, or contributor to the DreadX collection, um, which I didn't even ask him for it. He mess I was like, dude, I have to make this like border. Like, I, I can't do art. What am I supposed to do for this? And he was like, I'll make it for you. And I'm like, sweet, dude, do it. Like, jokingly. And then like two days later, he sent me, he was like, okay, here you go. And I was like, dog, what are you talking about? What is this? <laughs> and it, it's incredible and i love it and so big shout out to Airdorf. um he's yeah, like we, super we, talented it's crazy what this dude can do i'm like oh yeah i forgot you're like a really good artist oh i forgot you can do voice acting oh that's right you're you have like a phd in animation or whatever yeah um, oh that's right you have like a functional family life mm -hmm. yeah you have like a house and a family and and oh, your life is so much better than mine oh you have someone that loves you uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's a great guy. I really like Eredorf. Uh Yeah, you can see we have a history together. Yeah. Um, we went to college together. Uh, second year of college or second semester of college, he he jumped on board. We became friends then. Um, we did a bunch of school projects together. Hung out. We played Smash Bros. and you know had pizza parties and stuff together. All that stuff. Um, had a couple of jobs since then. You know, game studios stuff like that. Whenever he was developing Faith, the first Faith. Um, I was there the whole time. We would go out to Chick-fil-A uh, for lunch. He'd be like, dude, come get lunch with me, Chick-fil-A. We're doing it. I got some stuff I got to talk about. And he has like his notebook of all of his like game design stuff. We would just talk about like faith and inspiration and like, oh, the level could be like this or the demon could do this thing. Most of it was him. Um, I, I don't want to claim too much credit. There is some stuff in his in like all two or three of his games I could point to and be like, I mentioned that to him once. That's probably that's probably me right there. <laughs> Um, so you so actually really, did. Really cool. You did work with him on a game. Uh, yeah. Um, I worked with him on two of the three games. We worked at two game studios. Uh, we released two games at one, one at another. Um, he didn't work on one of the games. Uh, I was the lead designer on two of them. Um, we we worked on two of those together. But yeah, yeah, we worked on two games together. That was fun. What about uh, the the fishing horror game that oh likes? ha 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 that game oh yeah you made a game <laughs> I already forgot about that one so, sorry <laughs> Earl well um, Earl's Day Off made at least two dollars because I did pay two dollars for it hey big big thankies <laughs> um, yeah dude I, I feel bad for forgetting that game I've been so wrapped up in this other one uh, yeah we made Earl's Day Off um, for the uh, fishing horror jam 2020. Uh, that was really fun. Um, I'm reminded of a. I'm reminded a lot of that project doing this one, because even though the jam was like a month and a half long, we still did the whole thing in like a week. 
mm-hmm. um, just because we were like really busy with work and life. And then we find like, all right, we got a week. We got a week we can work on this. And of that week, it was like the last three days, we can really spend a lot of time on this. And it ended up being like the last six hours, I am going to finish this game. And so that's what I ended up doing. And yeah, I went, I, work, I went to work immediately afterwards and it was fun. God, that sounds fucking awful. Having to like <laughs> cram on a game and then like go to work and pretend like you care about it. It was 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. What was your uh, job? Uh, I worked at Best Buy, a retail employee. Oof, rough. Out, out dealing with the, with the public. The public's the worst, man. I hate people. Oh yeah. If people I, didn't exist, this world would be a better place. I worked at a grocery store as a cashier, uh, and all I learned in that time was that uh, we're all swine, and none of us deserve the beautiful, luxurious lives we have. Ted Kaczynski was right. Um, and, this is uh, correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think everyone should main work. Takeaways. Everyone should work either in, you know, like food service or retail um, just to be like, hey, uh, you should be nice to people. Yeah. <laughs> no, one, no one cares about your situation. Um, it's yeah. not a bad job. It's fine. Um, it's there's game industry has a lot of uh, big company wide layoffs at times um, due to, you know, outside financial issues and things like that. Um, I was a victim of that last year. Uh, had to work retail to, you know, pay bills and stuff like that. Um, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, yeah, that is the unfortunate fine. reality about the industry is that, uh, you know, the it, video games are made by people and people often forget that mm-hmm. for sure. They just assume that, uh, EA, uh, makes their dark sacrifices to the money gods. And all of a sudden a new, uh, FIFA just spawns forth from existence, but there's people like working on those games. Well, they do Dude, make the sacrifices. So They're sacrificing the, you know, people who work on them, the studios. You know uh, who uh, made those kinds of uh, EA games, like the sports games, before they got big, uh, is Oren Pelly, who's the guy that directed Paranormal Activity. He was uh, one of the factory drones of one of those larger companies. I can't remember which one specifically, uh, but Paranormal Activity was his uh, passion project. On the side, Paranormal Activity gets a lot of shit, um, but like, it's really, I think... The reason it gets a lot of shit is because it got so popular, even though like it is just one guy making a movie in his house for like less than $10,000. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Cannot argue yeah, I mean, that. Yeah, it's, that's, it's really cool, the success story of that one. Like, you never know what's going to take off and be popular. Like, look at Flappy Bird. I know, right? <laughs> That's my dream is to make like a stupid like game that takes five seconds to play millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, everything that's everyone's kind of kind of dream, even though uh, I think that the, the unfortunate thing about being the guy that made Flappy Bird is that though he made a ton of money off of it, um, I don't believe that like he could ever make anything again, you know? Yeah. Um, not that I think he even needs to. There's God, but that craze, it, it, it came about so quickly and then it crashed so fast. It did. People were like selling their phone. It's like, I have Flappy Bird on my phone, $600. Yeah. No, more than that. It yeah, like, like added a thousand dollars like in value. It was like a thousand dollars of value add on top of the phone, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyways, so next we're going to do the Flappy Bird game jam, right? Yeah. Well, I actually uh, capitalized on a like 10 year old meme. Funny that you asked. Uh, we already do have a uh, topic for our next game jam if it does. Uh, if this one sells enough to uh, warrant. 
which actually, you know, it, it actually shouldn't be uh, super hard for this one to uh, sell enough to be able to warrant uh, another one because um, I like we're really trying to re, re kind of re kind of remodel what we think about with indie game development because uh, you know the typical indie game is one guy's passion project that went through 17 iterations over six years and then it comes out and then no one plays it and then they um, cry for the next four years until they eventually get a factory job at ea and uh they never have a soul again that's the that's how it usually goes for indie games um but the idea with this one is to try to get 10 talented people together that can work over a week and they're come by their powers combined all working on their own thing that they're passionate about we have a product that is worth you know the the seven dollars that we're, we're asking for it and that's why Reed's here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why you're here. You're yeah, I, I, I really like the concept. Um, just like, hey, if you want to make some games, okay, here they are. Like, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like a game jam with like, uh, I was going to say professional. I guess that, that could be an apt word, but just like. Real um, professional. Whoa. Good, good uh, talented. There we go. Talented uh, indie developers um, is cool because you're going to get some cool stuff uh, at the end. Um, I've I've uh, mentored some uh, game jams in the past in person, like college student men, uh, game jams, uh, like really 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 big ones. Um, and those ga- those jams, you will get some like really good stuff out of it at the end. Most of it, not really, um, which is is no fault of the people. Like you're not there to make a great game; you're there to learn. Mostly, I've had some some students that were like, "Yeah, we're touching Unity for the first time," and I'm like, "Very brave, but also really cool. Keep it up." Um, and then you get the people that are like, yeah, I go to these like every week, dude, I'm a pro and they make, they like win first place. And it's like, you should sell this. Um, it, it's great to see the spectrum there. It's really fun. Well, the problem with, with game jams is that, um, it's hard to market game jams because, uh, if you have like an open game jam, then you're going to have what, like four hundred games coming out of it or like yeah. hundred games coming out of it. And, um, you can't exactly say like, Hey, uh, your game was too shit. We're not going to put it as part of the package, so you can't really like market because there's too many games. Which is why I had the why I thought the idea for a, the, what we're calling the curated jam, where you get ten developers together uh, that all can deliver good products in this time frame, so there's no uh, you know crap products coming out of yeah, it. Yeah, you, you get 100% quality out of it. Um, quality. I, I mean, you you do see like the one or two cool games coming out of a game jam, but you don't see the 400 other games that were submitted that no one wants to talk about. Mm-hmm definitely yeah um but yeah so uh just wanted to kind of ask a couple questions about you uh as a person so what, what other you said that you had worked on two games before with airdorf are those things that you can talk about or like are the nda or what no no they, these were years ago yeah i can talk about them you want to tell us what they were <laughs> <laughs> sure uh let's see uh all three of them are educational games, which is like th- that, that. That's the no-no word. You can't have educational games; those aren't good. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the the goals for the the games I made were that, that I worked on was like we want to make educational games that are actually fun. We want fun games that happen to be educational, um, which is you know a noble purpose. Whether or not it came out truly that way, that remains to be seen, or you know, subjective. But um, one of them is called uh, Variant which was a game for college students that was sold like to professors directly to use in their classes. Um, 
it was set to be a series of four games. Uh, the first one focused on limits, which is part of calculus. Uh, the game taught calculus, by the way, mm-hmm. um, which is which is the highest fail rate, I think, of students like everywhere ever. Um, calculus sucks. I don't like it. I had to take Calc 2 for my school. I never used it once. Um, but yeah, so the game taught calculus. I think it actually did a pretty good job. And it was like a 3D third-person adventure game where you like solved puzzles and there was a story and characters and like good animation and stuff. But you also learned math at the same time. Um, that game was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one at the same company I worked on was called Arte Mecenas, um, which uh, is a Italian Renaissance banking simulator historical simulator game. Um, it's on Steam, actually, which is cool. Um, and that one, you play the role of like the head of the Medici family in the Italian Renaissance. And you like make decisions for the family and like banking stuff. But like historical events happen and you like learn the history of that time period and stuff. Wait, like wait, what was the game called? Arte Mecenas, M-E-C-E-N-A-S. Um, I was I the lead I've game designer of that. this one. Really? Have you really yeah. heard of that one? Are you yeah, serious? Yeah, no, I have. Bro, I've never met a single person in my life that's heard of that game. Yeah, it's by those... Uh, didn't, is, wasn't that company... Didn't they make a few of those kinds of educational games? Uh, yeah, yeah, they made like two more after I left. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah I remember that one. How um, have you heard of that? Yeah. Who no, are I, you? I've, I've played it. Who have you been talking to? I didn't know to? you worked with on that. That's cool. Look, look in the credits, sucker. I'm right there at the top. I told Jesus. them. To, I told them to put me at the top. Put me at the top. Uh, that's make us a lead designer. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think of the game? I, I was very drunk when I played it. I'm trying to remember any details. Um, <laughs> this is back in the period of time that is known as the Dark Ages for Ted, where he doesn't quite remember much stuff. But yeah, Honestly, I remember, I remember that playing. one. That was pretty cool. I read the reviews on Steam out of like morbid curiosity, and people were like, "This game's bad." Like, I would only play this if I was taking it a class in school. And it's like the game was literally made to supplement like your your textbook in school. Like, like, like yes, correct. Um, it was just funny reading that. Yeah, it was made to go along with school. Like, you go to class, you you like read your book or whatever. You go home and then you play this. Right. Um, so those games are pretty interesting in that aspect. And um, I actually have a minor in art and architectural history. I wasn't hired because of it, but it, it was like a weird coincidence that, that happened. And I was like, all right, all right, boys, rubs hands together. Like, let, let's. Let's get this bread. Mm-hmm. Um, so that ended up being pretty interesting. Um, working, like, being, like, academically smart for, like, a whole, like, work day is really exhausting. I had to, like, heavily work with, like, college professors and, like, instructional designers and stuff. And it was, like, I was, like, tired, like, physically tired at the end of it. Yeah, I, I'm guessing it would actually be a lot of work to try to, like, get facts right. I mean, people don't often do that nowadays, though. Yeah, it's, like, we had to, like... We, we had to balance, like, I want this to be, like, an interesting, fun gameplay experience mixed with, that didn't happen in real life. Get that out of here. It was, yeah. like, it was, like, Soul Calibur, like, 5 came out, and I was, like, I want to do a crossover where, like, a merchant places a cursed sword with a glowing eyeball on your desk, and they were, like, you can't do that. <laughs> like, like, you can't, it's, this that didn't happen in real life, but it's, like, dude, come on. Come on, but that'd be so cool. But it's like that's not history, I guess. Yeah. It's, um, it's everyone. Everyone playing Crusader Kings doesn't want to have real history. They want to make the the horse a horse, the Pope. That's what they want. 
Dude, all right. So one of interesting point bringing up Crusader Kings. That was a big like reference point during a lot of the development. Not on purpose. I never played that game. I never brought it in. Um, one of our uh, instructional designers, the, the reason he was interested in the game is because he's a huge Crusader Kings fan. And like every chance he got, he would bring it up or just like use like terminology from the game. And I'm like, uh, we don't we don't call it that word. We have this other word for that. I looked it up and it's like, oh, Crusader Kings uses that. Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> it was just funny. He kept like squeezing it in every chance he could. And I was like, wrong game. Well, I guess it um, just turns out that you're being a fan of Crusader Kings can get you a real job. There you go. That's the main takeaway of this podcast. <laughs> That's the main takeaway of the podcast is that you're not wasting your life playing hundreds and thousands of hours of Crusader Kings. Yeah. And so after uh, after I left the company, um, they went on to make like two more like a little different style Arte games in the Arte series. One of them is called Arte Lumiere, and it's like what is that? It's like it's I didn't work on this game, and I barely know anything about it. I'm trying to remember. Uh, it's like French, like impressionism themed, maybe. And then there's Arte Hemet, which is uh, an Egyptian board card game about Egyptian art history. Um, hmm. It's it's a really interesting mashup of like genres there. But uh, I've I've never played it, but it's <laughs> it sounds cool. Um, that is after, cool. Yeah. After uh, that company went on to another company started making educational games for high school students, which is a little bit different. Um, that one, it started out as a biology game where I was making, like, mini-games. Same kind of deal, third-person, um, like, adventure exploration game with, like, little, like, turn-based battles. Um, but it was, like, there was little mini-games I was making that I ended up becoming, like, the lead, like, level game designer and, like, bossing the whole team around of how to make their levels good and right and not as bad as before. Um, big job if you have the right uh, employees on your team, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, that game evolved into like, we're going to have four games, one for each subject, like biology, algebra, US history, and whatever the fourth one was. And it was like, all right, bro, we're doing... It was like, you have a year to make a game. <laughs> you have a year to make four games, losers. Like, get, get ready. <laughs> get, get wrecked. It was like over like what? Like... Two, two to four hundred levels, I think, I was in charge of. Um, <laughs> that was cool. Um, we did it. It, it, it worked. Um, yeah, I mean, and now you're experience. working on a game. And now you're working on a game where you don't have to teach people shit. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm teaching people how to how to cast spells and summon Satan, dude. Heck yeah. yeah. It's, There's it's no Satan pretty... in my game. There are uh, my universe. There are spirits though. There are spirits. It's true. They're in the game. You can see them. Yeah, they're ghosty spirits and stuff. You can see them if you cast the right spell, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but uh, it is. It, I do think it is interesting to the the idea of like trying to create. <sighs> There's always a question of how do you like teach people how to play your game, and then try to teach people how to play a game about teaching them something. Exactly. <laughs> we always talk about gamification of things, and like how do we make you know learning more gamified? But then when you actually do get people an educational game, they're like, no, unless it's Typing of the Dead, and they're the yeah. that. Pretty much, yeah. It's like um, gamification and education is is like really huge right now. Um, ask Eridorf about it. He does a lot of that stuff too, I think. Um, I get snippets of like what he's actually doing, like with his work stuff, and I'm like, all right, cool. Like, what does that mean? And then like next month, he's like, oh, I'm doing this other thing, and it's like, sweet. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. It's like, oh, that's a great idea. Teachers don't know anything about games on average. Some teachers do. Um, and the most most like 
most kids don't like playing games that teach them. They want to have like stupid fun and not like smart fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, there's some statistic where it's like eighty percent of like children to, or or students, I guess, um, play video games like every day. Um, it's like what if they were playing the the educational game? Whoa, wow. Um, there's still a long way to go before educational games get like Skyrim, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> maybe someday we'll see. Um, those companies need to not run out of money and fire everyone or lay everyone off first. Um, well, but, I don't think it's—I don't think it's necessarily a bright line where you have to have a division between educational games and like, uh, you know, games for fun. I think that uh, like you can. There, there's a there's like a gray area in between. That's like the the goal. That's like the the like golden space we want to get to. Um, like that's like you know the ideal. Not quite there yet, but every every new um, venture gets gets closer to that. I mean, like, you just need the right game. Like, think about, you know, the periodic table. Like, try to memorize the periodic table elements. Oh, no, dude, there's too many. There's too much to remember. It's like, all right, dude, uh, how many Pokemon are there? Like, I can name every Pokemon and their type combinations. Like, you can name the periodic elements, right? It's all about um, level of interest, like I care about Pokemon, I'm going to commit the brain power to memorizing them. I don't give a hoot about nitrogen. Like, who cares? You have to make someone care about something enough to get them to spend the energy to learn it, pretty much. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I think that. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to get. I don't know how to get people to care. If I did, I'd probably have a million subscribers by now. Bro, I don't care myself. I don't know how to make other people care. <laughs> Uh, um, it's a good idea. I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that um, gosh, I'm trying to even think about uh, what I was. Sorry, I, I just I had a really good point and I lost it. It's we've had a long day of recording podcasts and work <laughs> and stuff. Um, like <laughs> the the whole like gray area of the the educational games and getting people to care. I learned like so much of what I know about uh, Japanese history and history in general through playing like total war games. And uh, yeah. even though, you know, those aren't historically accurate, it lights the, the spark to then go learn about it. It's like, Oh, I wonder what this, uh, you know, where the Tokugawa Shogunate came from. And then I go look it up and I find out about who all these people were. And it's like, that's cool. Yeah. And guess what you just did. Huh. You, you studied. That's where they get you. That's where they get you. No, I'm just... like a huge fucking nerd. I love those Wikipedia rabbit holes that I jumped down. It's just like, I think that um, a lot, I'm, I'm now that I'm getting older and I, I hate the world, I'm more likely to study fiction. Like uh, I'll sit on the SCP archive for like two days. Oh, you know? There you go. <laughs> let's, learn, yeah, for, let's learn fake facts. For sure. I remember there was at one point we were making um, one of our games and we were like, should we let the player like click out of the window and like go to their like internet browser? Like, should we do that? And I was like, what like to stop them from cheating isn't that like studying though like if they go look it up and and doesn't that like make them learn it and they were like yeah i think you're right and it's like they can cheat all they want to if they like learn from it like yeah if they're compelled enough to cheat your game then they're compelled enough to play it and they're compelled enough to go study and learn yeah that's the point you're not trying to stop people from winning so you sure got me whenever you cheated my game by reading the textbook Ooh, you got me (laughs) yeah all the answers are there Yeah, so that was just a funny thing. It's like, do we have cheating? There, there is no cheating. That's the point of the game is to get you to cheat. I, I mean, that does make sense. Uh, and speaking of being able to open your internet browser from the game, we can do that in ours. I just got the uh, build of the launcher, the first build of the launcher today. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. 
Sweet. You should check it out. You should check it out when you have the chance. It looks pretty cool. Um, there's a little bit of the art assets that still need to be polished up. But uh, anyone that plays the Dreadx collection will not only be able to play all 10 games from the launcher, but they'll also be able to uh, find the secret meta story that we haven't uh, announced yet. But uh, yeah, no, no details about that. Or I, don't, I don't even know about yet. that. Yeah, I'm trying to keep it under wraps until I figure out if it's shit or not. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, um, if it's bad, it, it was just it was an ARG. It never happened. Yeah, exactly. But if it was good, it was all your idea. There we go. I've been trying to like, so I've, I've had this idea for a while of creating an ARG because I think that ARGs are fun. Um, but, and so I was like looking into a bunch of other ARGs to try, try to see who's done it well. There's so many shitty ARGs out there. There's not many good ones. <laughs> They're hard to do. I'm like way too stupid to even follow one, but let alone like make one myself. Yeah, I, I remember uh, basically the, the first ARG I remember is uh, basically um, like not prawn, which was this like a uh, browser based kind of ARG where you had to find secret ways to progress through the game. And it's super, super long and it's a super huge rabbit hole. You can jump down. Um, and I've always liked that. I liked the, uh, when amnesia was coming out with their, uh, amnesia rebirth announcement. And, uh, you had to like look in the code to find a secret YouTube link, et cetera. I always find that to be, you know, fascinating. Um, like I was actually doing that for this newest amnesia, um, where it was like, they, they had this, thing and it was like this code and i like looked up where it was and everyone was saying that the game was soma 2 and i was like well the code in the trailer if you look at the description and then you put that into maps it comes up with this town in the middle of like kyrgyzstan which is nowhere near the ocean and then i actually looked at the trailer footage and i realized like that's where the trailer footage was shot hmm. and i was like oh so this is like actually like oh okay this is interesting because it's the same desert area and I'm like, oh, this is, might be where the game takes place. And then it like, kind of all came out that I was like correct, and it just felt so good. Like, nice. That kind of interactive marketing I've always loved. I always wanted to have the idea of doing an ARG. Have you ever heard of this guy called uh, Mother Horse Eyes? Nine Mother Horse Eyes? I have not. So this is a rabbit hole that's fun to fall down. Nine Mother Horse Eyes is this uh, Reddit commenter who would go into these random Reddits and start telling pieces of a horror story in just random comment chains until people like discovered it and then started following him. And uh, <clears throat> I've always liked the idea of starting an ARG like that in the comment section of various different websites and try to like see if people can piece it together. Um, the problem is, is that it's, I'm, I'm shit. I'm shit at writing. <laughs> Feel that. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm I, I would have a very strange job for being shit at writing. It's just a, you know the sunk the sunk cost of trying to create an ARG that maybe no one pays attention to. Like you put so much effort into it, mm -hmm. and then no I, one cares. I, yeah, I was definitely not joking. I'm not good at writing. Play my game, you'll find out. <laughs> you, you write something like, "Yeah, this is cool," and then your wife walks in. You're like, "This is horribly cringy and edgy. I hate this. Delete the game, please." <laughs> You're such an edge lord. I'm like, listen to this, and she's like, "Great." It's like, don't say anymore. I understand. No, she's she's great. I'm I'm kidding. That was me saying that to myself. <laughs> um, yeah, ARGs are cool. Like I appreciate like the effort that goes into them, and it's like if you take this portion of the screenshot and run it through like a sonogram or sonograph or whatever, you get the sound waves that like it, it's a caco demon, dude. Um, but it's like I'm I'm really lazy. If you give me like a cryptic puzzle, I'm like. A, what's the answer like, so the problem with ARGs I've always found is that they're they're intentionally low budget like uh Marble Horns and all that stuff is very low budget so uh and it's like the old alien problem uh not alien problem or Jaws uh problem I guess uh the more you show the monster 
the less terrifying it is. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of these ARGs are about the mystery of the buildup. And then I, I would say 98% of them drop the ball when it comes to actually the explosive climax because it's just some dude in like a completely white mask going with a knife. And then <laughs> and I'm like, well, that sucked. It was like a terrible buildup. Definitely. Was a terrible payoff. There's, all that build there's, up. There's, sorry, there's another way you can do it where you like, you, you show the payoff too soon and then the rest of the ARG is pointless. Um, the only ARG I ever followed was uh, Overwatch. Whenever they were teasing um, the the character Sombra, yes, they had like a like month long ARG at least at least a month. I forgot how long it was. It was years ago, um, but it was like they would do the stuff where it's like if you pause the trailer on this one frame, you see this this like series of shapes. If you put that through whatever program, you get this, and if you run that through a sound thing, uh, you get this thing, and it's like. Everything was just like the number 23 because it was the 23, 23rd character, or it was just like Sombra's a key or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was like every single thing says the 23rd character's name is Sombra. She does this. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, we got it. Show us the character. And then it was like three more weeks of just like 23, 23. Like that was that was the punchline for every single like um like mystery. And it was like, we get it. Like give me the character please yeah, give me the character now yeah I feel they, they were like hey it's, it's her we're like y- yes thank you yeah and it was I like y'all, y'all like did it way too soon slow your roll yeah I, I used to follow marble hornets if you're familiar with marble hornets i'm not it's the uh it's basically the slender man arg it's like okay. back when slender man was first getting popular marble hornets was like one of the first args it's part of the um God, there's a larger collective of it that I, I can't remember the name right now, but uh, something tribe, everyman tribe, I can't remember. Um, but there's like a ton of them that kind of all crisscrossed and intersected. And there was multiple YouTube channels and the you had to watch one video on this one to understand what this video was over here. And then nine months later, you found out that this video actually related to this other video over here. You know, the, the good times when YouTube had some creativity and it wasn't just all clickbait fucking bullshit. Yeah. Um, and I loved I loved it. And uh you know, the, the Marble Hornets, it like it built up to this impossible kind of climax. And when you listen to interviews with the guys, they're like, yeah, we originally had the plan to do this, but then it turned into this. And it's, it's really just a, a great story of someone's own creation kind of getting out of their hands. And they're like, yeah, we, we accidentally created uh, like cryptographic sequences that like no one could solve. <laughs> they were like literally <laughs> impossible. Um, and then there was like uh, this like thing about the stigmata in the first season that they drop in later seasons because they decided they didn't want to go that route because they just didn't really know what they were doing. Um, and that, that's the thing is that it's easy to ask the questions. Like J.J. Abrams asks all these questions in his movies. It's easy to ask the questions because then people go, what are the answers? You go, I don't know. And then, But if you don't have those answers, then you're always left um, with kind of a, a product that just feels underwhelming. And so I try to – that's what I'm worried about is – with the, the wraparound story is trying to create something that has a, a satisfying payoff. But I, I think people are going to like what we got going so far. So Yeah, for sure. Uh, back to your last thing. Uh, were you talking about like there's Slender Man lore? Yeah. So Slender Man, are, are you not familiar with Mr. With, with no, Mr. Man? I, I know Slender Man. I thought it was just a, a silly, creepy pasta. It's like saying, Oh yeah. In the Squidward suicide cinematic universe. Yeah. Well, it's like, what are you talking about? So, well, I mean, yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's the creepypasta is its own market, you know? Because like I understand market. that, like, it started as, like, a goofy creepypasta. Look, dude, he's in the background of my picture. But then there's, like, games and, like, a movie made about right. it. And I don't understand 
how that jump was made or how there's like lore. Well, I mean, look at, uh, you know, the uh, Kyle who made uh, Outsiders uh, in our project. His uh, original project was SCP Blackout and SCP Blackout was a creepypasta internet forum. And now there's games being made about it. And he's one of those. It's it it, it balloons outside of what you expect it to. Um, but like, but yeah. how do, does anyone own Slenderman? Like, yes. how, do you, how does that work? Well, Slenderman is owned by one guy. Um, and then, so a lot of the stories about Slenderman are uh, under Creative Commons. And I, I know that uh, Marble Hornets had to change the name of their uh, tall, thin man to the operator, which is their version of Slenderman. Um, but Slenderman ah, so is it's, owned... it's like great value Slenderman. Yeah, well, it's it's actually like the one that people like more because the actual Slenderman has been kind of fucked over <laughs> by the, <laughs> the film. I would really be interested in seeing uh, the uncut version of that movie because it was originally supposed to be rated R. But uh, yeah, I um, it is. Yeah, it's basically it's it, Slenderman is not actually in the public domain, and I'm trying to remember who owns it. Yeah, because I figured it was like you know these creepy pastas that like someone wrote like in their you know basement when they were twelve like ten years ago. Like, how does someone own and make a movie about those? It's like the Navy Seal copy pasta, the movie. Like, how do you like how do you do that? That's just that's what Slenderman is to me. It's like one of these silly internet things, but it's like a real thing, and I'm just. I'm an old man confused at the modern times. Well, I mean, it's that's, that's so it's it's really true. But if you think about the things that like you as a kid were most excited for, um, a lot of times it was just your version of what back then was a silly internet thing. Uh, it's like, and a lot of um, as much as we think of horror as something for adults, uh, the, the one of the appeals of horror is that kids really like it, and they like it because they feel like they're getting a glimpse into the world of adults, you know. And uh, so you see something like Slenderman, which, oh, this is what the grownups are talking about. This is what grownups like, um, even though, you know, the, the vast majority of people that play Slenderman like Slenderman are probably people that are, you know, in their teens, early teens. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, you graduate to, uh, I don't even know what would be the, the one after Slenderman, but, you know, you kind of get into more adult horror. But it's it's one of those gateway horrors that even though it is gateway horror, it's just adult enough that kids feel like they're getting a glimpse of something uh, kind of beyond the world of their, they, they feel, they feel like they're, yeah, like I said, they're getting a peek into the world of the grown up times. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's the interesting thing is that, you know, where, where did the horror stories of uh, yesteryear come from? Where did the Candyman movie came from? Well, it came from bloody Mary. Where, where did the fuck did bloody Mary camp come from? Uh, I don't know. Campfire stories. <laughs> where did the campfire stories come from? Right. But now we have this online forum of campfire stories and it's like an endless trove of creativity. Um, and we're still making Halloween 14. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't piss off the Halloween crowd though. Cause uh, they're fucking nuts. Dude, I read an article about how uh, Resident Evil three uh, didn't have a quit button. And uh, yeah. I got, which I, which, well, the Resident Evil three demo, um, which I thought was a feature that um, a game should have, you know, the quit button and uh people like jumped on my throat well i don't want to say people uh, uh troglodytes jumped down my throat about <laughs> it and they were like fuck you this game's gonna be amazing and then it came out and it was like two hours long and it cut a bunch of content and then they all shut up immediately well the game the final game being good has nothing to do with the demo not having a quit button yeah i mean it, that's what i'm what i'm trying to say is that <clears throat> fans of specific characters specific franchises 
uh, tend to be psychopaths. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get uh, too much into that. And I, 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 I do say that I think that, you know, fandom is, is great and has its place. But I do think that uh, there's a problem with blind fandom because uh, let's not all forget that it wasn't that long ago that Resident Evil 6 came out. And we don't want to be blindly following a franchise back into the days of Resident Evil 6. There, there's a line you can cross with fandom. It's like you can like something great. It can be your favorite thing. Great. Don't harass people online who say quit button should be there. Yeah, I think that um, there's 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 when you adopt to something as part of your personality. Um, yes, like I, I agree. I've been writing about horror for years and years and years. Um, and one of the things you get used to is people disagreeing with you. Um, and that's, that's okay. I'm okay with people disagreeing with me. I'm okay with people not liking horror. I mean, like I have grandparents, they don't like horror. And, uh, it's just so people, so many people are so used to that internet conversation that they forget that there's like an actual human behind the the screen on the other end. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, Let's just call everyone shit all the time. Uh, although I did call them troglodytes in my article, which might be why they were they were upset. But then again, maybe they shouldn't be such troglodytes. I don't know. That's accurate. <laughs> yeah, I um. I was gonna say it's just the anonymity of having, you know, just a screen with words on it. You're not talking to a person. Um, you can say whatever you want. There's no repercussions. As soon as you're in a room with somebody, like none of that talk actually happens. It's like, oh, it's, it was actually pretty good. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It was. That's what I've always found too, is that um, all the people that are like super vitriolic on the internet, they tend to like not be that way in person. Um, either they're like more sociable in person or they just like don't communicate. Um, they're like, I, you know what I was, one of the things I always like to think about, um, now we're getting super off topic, but that's fine, whatever, fuck it. We, we were never on topic. We're we good. were never on topic. Um, I always like to imagine, well, not always, but uh, something that always intrigues me is uh, all the people we don't see every day right like uh the amount of people that you go out and you see in your town is well where, wait where do you live i live in austin okay austin so you you walk around the streets of austin you probably see uh ten thousand people if you were to walk the streets for a lot of the day what we don't see is the, the large amount of people that just don't go outside that day and how many people don't go outside for multiple days etc like who are the invisible people that we never see uh you never see we we did an interview recently with uh, Falling Squirrel Studio, who made a game for the visually impaired. But you rarely see a blind person outside, and they're they're there, they exist, but we rarely ever see them. And the, that idea of like invisible communities is interesting because I feel that for a lot of uh, people, it's easy for them to try to uh, associate with one of these quote invisible communities that are self-described. So I'm not talking about blind people at this point, of course. I'm not talking about like the physically disabled. I'm talking about people that like are self-described like incels, you know? And I always find yeah. that to be like kind of a dangerous self-classification. Uh, and you get this kind of warped perception of reality because, you know, do you, when you walk around every day, how many people that you would, that would self-describe as incels do you actually see? Well, not many. And it's generally because they aren't making the effort to go out and interact with society. <laughs> And then when they do, it's like they either can't talk because they don't have the anonymity of a screen anymore. Or uh, <laughs> my, my friend sent me this really great meme where she was like this guy had posted that he's like, I, I got invited to a party as a as a friend, like just was pity inviting me. 
And about four hours in, I realized that no one was talking about SJWs versus gamers. What the fuck have I been doing with the last six years of my life? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Real life is very different. Uh, As much as I hate going out and like interacting with people and actually talking, um, I much prefer talking face to face with somebody than like online. Because online you get like, I wouldn't say your true self. You get like an anonymous version of yourself that isn't necessarily how you really feel all the time. Right. It's it's like more true than what you would say to someone's face, but also it wouldn't have the same meaning. Like you you don't have that veil of needing to be decent because you're not confronted with the person. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. When you're with a person, there's like a base level of like niceness you have to be to them. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Um, it is a good thing. There, and that's the weird thing is that piece of, like there's this subsect of people on the internet that says, well, the internet's the only place you can be your true self and it's like well no because your true self is the person that has to interact with a society and if you take that out that's not your true self your true self is also the factors of the things that you don't say because you don't want to get beat up you know that's like real life exactly. and if you're trying to say that like life is best lived outside of the context of that real interaction then you're like you're, you're, you're trying to play life on easy mode basically mm-hmm. definitely and, uh, that's just not how it works yeah. Like I said, I'm very much not like a technology bad kind of guy. I just the whole thing we've been talking about, I don't like that stuff. I like the the real the real person. I want to talk to an actual person and get their real self and their real response. Mm-hmm. And it's like a lot of that is, you know, nonverbal, body language, stuff like that. Intonation. Whenever you text someone and it's like, oh, I was being sarcastic, I, I can't let you know that. Um mm-hmm. especially with me, I, I have a really weird, horrible sense of humor. Um, and so I'll, I'll say things that mean something else, and that doesn't come out via text unless you like actually know me. Um, so I feel it a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I um, I uh, I'm not trying to think that you're uh, anti-technology. I, sorry, I was just thinking about this when you were saying that though that interaction in person. It's probably the reason why I still like to go to E3 and stuff, and why I still like to go to like cons. Um, because so like Jesse and I went to uh, PAX East recently, and um, it was his first convention. And uh, Jesse, give give your impression of what Pax East was like. Can you hear my what I said? Yes, cool. Pax East. What is uh? How does Obi Wan uh, describe Tatooine like a, a more wretched hive of scum and villainy? <laughs> um, nice. I don't know. It was fine. Uh, I certainly wouldn't pay to go. Um, it was it was nice being paid to go. Uh, you know, and uh, because I was uh. With in in Ted's posse, uh, I got to uh, I got the fruit of his clout. Uh, so, you know, uh, journal, you know, people who were expecting uh, him, who who, you know, Ted's had, I don't know how many of these conventions have he gone to. Like, you've been, been doing, doing this for, for seven. I've been doing it for seven years. So, you know, we'll say conservative estimate, three or four a year. Like that's almost thirty thirty of these. Uh, you got experience. Uh, they know your face. They're expecting you, and they find me, and it's like, oh well, we already have this appointment set up where uh, you you sit in one of those upright massage chairs and play a video game, and somebody massages you, and and like this weird Eastern European guy uh, squats next to you and explains the game. Um, it was like that part was really cool. It was a lot like very unusually luxurious experience 
Um, everything else, though, it's like I would I would not want to hang out there. I mean, it is it is a commercial. It's a it's a in person commercial. Yeah, but the people... difference between that and and the the, the 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 just learning about the game through trailer online is you get to meet the people behind the game. That's true, but only if you're a journalist. Right, which is what I'm saying is that that's one of the reasons I like to go. I think. It's, oh yeah, like that personal interaction is awesome. Yeah, yeah you meet the people behind the game if you're brave enough to go talk to someone and initiate a conversation in public. That that's where I fall short. I can't do that. Yeah, I oh, mean having having the bonus of being able to cut the lines and and them giving me a bunch of uh, stupid uh, you know tchotchkes um, and t-shirts, like that's that's dope. But for the the poor suckers who you know traveled there who paid real american greenback dollars who waited in line for like an hour in like the boston cold like come on <laughs> just go to, go to a bar go to a chuck e cheese <laughs> something <laughs> just i love that review that's so good yeah. Uh, yeah i went to i went to pack south once uh paid for by company also good um <clears throat> i i had less of an experience uh, i made me and my coworkers or my, my friends I worked with, also co-workers, uh, we all sat in the line to play the uh, Nintendo Switch before it came out. Um, we sat for four hours in that line. We played, like, Breath of the Wild, Splatoon 2. For, like, ten like, minutes, so- probably, right? And, yeah, it was, like, ten minutes total, all, like, all the games. Insanity. Um, it was worth it, dude. Was it? Um, <laughs> because... It okay. was cool. Well, you there was there... nothing else we were going to do there. We were Fair there enough. all day, and it's like it was like, bro, I just want to play the Switch. I have nothing else to do. You were there. We did for that, free. walked around, and then left. You were there for free. Imagine somebody else paying all that money, and then sitting in line at the Animal Crossing uh, uh, New Horizons oh, booth yeah. for hours and hours and hours, just waiting for a chance to get that serotonin hit, and they finally get their hands on the controller, the controller that's been touched by a hundred other people mid-pandemic, uh, literally risking their life, literally less risking uh, death by, like, bloody coughs to play Animal Crossing, and they finally get to try it out. And it's like, you know, I mean, have you, have you played an Animal Crossing game? I mean, the first several hours is just tutorials on how to do chores. No, the my my knowledge of Animal Crossing is why I understand that a lot of people would risk that to play animal crossing but it's like um, you're gonna... that's like a that's like no no you know no contest there it's play like animal crossing or dive like I'll, I'll i'll do both please thank you but it's like <laughs> you're just gonna buy it in store a month later yeah have you seen how cute it is yeah, it's, it's super cute it's, it's cute have you I, seen isabel i like kk it's, slider it's, I, I think the point is is that it's a weird game to stand in line to play because yeah like yeah 15 minutes of Animal Crossing is not the Animal Crossing experience. No, exactly. It's a game you have to have, like, literally years to play. Like, yeah, li- yes. literally. Yes. Uh, like, at least, you know, people who wanted to play Cyberpunk uh, uh, 2077, you know, they probably got to, like, do some action and shoot and stuff. I can't imagine the people who stood in line for the Animal Crossing demo did anything other than chop trees or pick up, you know. No, the point, the reason that you stand in that line is so you can take a selfie with it and say, I was here. Exactly. And post it on your Instagram. Yes. That's the point. That's deranged. Yeah. Well, it is. That is uh, one of the most depressing things that you can imagine. Trying to put yourself in that mindset is, is, 
is a, a hit to your sanity, to say the least. I think. Yeah. The... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go go ahead. ahead. No, you oh, first. Uh, all right. I was going to say that um, in the topic of kind of like meeting the people behind the games, um, especially for indie games, uh, it might just be because I live in Austin, but there's a lot of opportunities to do stuff like that around here. Um, a lot compared to you know other places I've lived. Um, example, uh, last year, a year or two ago, um, there's an event called a Fantastic Arcade in Austin. Um, I think they have it every year. They have just a bunch of indie developers come in, uh, have their games on display. They have like a collection you can play online, I think. Um, then they like give talks and stuff about their games. Um, Aerodorf had Faith there, uh, which was really cool. I went there to, to kind of support them and go check it out and see what else was there. Among all the games that were there, which there was like, you know, a lot of ones I've actually heard of, uh, the guys who made Noita were there, which was really cool. Oh, really? I never heard of Noita until then. I saw it. I was like, yo, what the heck is this? Yeah, I hear th- I hear it's good. I wanted to do it's, a review it's really for cool. it, but I never got around to it. Yeah, I saw the Noita first time at the Mix, which is a kind of a similar event. Whenever I was in like, I don't know, junior high, high school... And like in keyboarding, like computer class, I would just waste time playing like the Falling Sand game. Oh, I love those. And I was like, dude, this is like Falling Sand game. They were like, yes, yes, it is. Like we based the game on that. Um, I didn't talk to the guys because like I said, I'm socially awkward. And I was like, oh, this game's cool, dude. Um, But Airdorf got to know them and they like sent them like a copy of the game beforehand. And I was like, oh, dude, copy that floppy. Let me see that. Um, but I, I paid for it. We're good. We're cool. No edit devs. We're cool. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll edit that out. But yeah, it's it's like there was a bunch of indie devs there. Like the dudes or the I, th- I think Spelunky Two was there. Um, like Frog Detective. Like a lot of um, games like that were like all the developers were there, and it was like, oh yeah, that guy over there made this, and we're all just we're we're just people hanging out, and it's like y'all don't look like game devs, you look like people. Um, but there's there's stuff like that in Austin, which is cool. There's like all the most of the game dev stuff in Texas is in Austin, which is why I'm here. Um, yeah, but cool for, for PAX, it's like, you know, you're not going to see fucking Miyazaki walking around. Yeah. You know, you're going to see the people that are hired to, to be there. Or maybe yeah, yeah, if you're lucky, like... you're going to meet the guy who spent five years of his life animating the smoke in, uh, you know, uh, Call of Duty. Yeah, they're just going to have all the booth babes there, and you just have to, you know, ask them questions about the games, and they'll be like, "I don't know, dude. Yes. I'm just paid to be here. I'm paid to be here. I'm a babe. There's a booth. Sweet synthesis. <laughs> Are booth babes still a thing? Does that still exist? Oh not yeah, as, not as much. I didn't. I didn't see as many. Maybe oh, I, I wasn't lucky. Back in the day, E3 was like a like a car commercial, and it was like, "Is this video games? Like, I'm a nerd. I don't like that stuff. I don't oh, like girls." <laughs> I um I, 3D uh, girls ew. Put some clothes <laughs> no, on. 3, 3D pig girls no. Uh, I I knew a guy in college that would talk like that, uh, <laughs> like 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 unironically. <laughs> and then it. he also would say with his human words, "Forever alone, meh." Like in conversations. I knew a guy um, in college who dressed like Slash every day. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, booth girls are still a thing. I think um, and uh, I think that like. Honestly, like, duh. Like, of course it's going to get people to come over. But I think that there's enough um, women that just, like, play games now that, like, you don't really need to hire booth. Like, okay, so the term booth babe, I think, has a a bad connotation now because the idea was that you used to hire professional models to come stand around for your EverQuest display. But now you can have, like, genuine real-life hot chicks that play EverQuest come stand by your EverQuest display that are, like, happy to be there because they like EverQuest. So we we just have... That's even worse because then they're not getting paid. 
We need yeah, the but natural... I mean, we'd rather have fans there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just need to have the natural evolution of the booth, babe, and have the uh, the booth the booth like what bros. The booth. I want to see some like I want to see some like Chippendale like dudes, <laughs> like Jack dudes like shirtless oiled up. Like, hey guys, y'all want to play Call of Duty? Yeah. <laughs> I want to play some Animal Crossing. Get over here. Like, yeah. I want to see some of that. I do too. That would be fucking awesome. Like, I, like I, sexual appeal or no? Just like, what's, what's up? Like, give me some like Cho and Iki. Like, bring that in. Yeah, I just um, I I've always really wanted to get into cosplay, but I need to lose like another twenty pounds first because <laughs> I don't want to be the fat version of something. So like, I work out a lot, so I'm like a pretty like big guy. But I also like eat a lot of cake, so I'm like uh like I power lift is my like workout of choice, um and uh, so that's that's fun, but uh it it doesn't it's not exactly like a cosplay body because uh, I don't even know if you've ever seen a like a drawing of Wolverine, but uh he's impossible to look like. Well, just um, and I just. Just go as like a you know chunky guy. Uh, who's who's the dude he texted me earlier? Uh, Ulfric. Just go as him. What? Let me let me who? read the text. I don't remember texting you earlier. Was I sleepy when I did it? Uh, you I... quickly te- said, "Oops, wrong person." <laughs> oh, Ulfwan. And, and I yeah, Ulfwan. Also on. That's uh no, those are those I'm talking about the high elves of uh, Warhammer and they're all very thin. Oh, I'm thinking of the big uh huge like Scottish guys from uh uh Darksiders. Darksiders? Yeah, the the makers. Oh god, fuck. Yeah. No, I forgot about that. <laughs> goes one of them. <laughs> yeah, just goes one of them. No, I just don't want to be the fat version of something. It's just basically yeah. what I'm saying. So I'm and and honestly, Honestly, I've I feel the exact same way. I've gone through that whole thing in my head, except I don't work out, so it's not going to get better. Um, I'm Just like, own it. Just you know, <laughs> cosplay is something ridiculous. Cosplay is a uh, you know Krieg from Borderlands who's just got like a like a forty two pack, and uh, you know just go in with a keg. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. so, I've 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 done research on this. I'm like, how many like blonde male characters are there out there okay how many have a beard okay how many are things that i actually know it's like two characters ever if i shave the beard maybe like three but i can't cosplay a character i don't know anything about that feels fake and Mm -hmm. that's terrible the 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 character i could that i've narrowed it down to is paul from tekken (laughs) um the guy with the like cylindrical hair Mm-hmm. Um, if I get some like construction paper and like tape it to my head, like maybe, um, he's like the only like blonde character like with a beard, and I've like googled cosplay of him to see like how how possible is this, and like all there's like a couple like buff dudes and then like some skinny guys and the skinny guys look bad, as in mm-hmm. they don't look anything like Paul. I wouldn't guess that that was them, and I'm like <laughs> I can't I have to, I have to be like Jack to to play a Jack dude like come on, yeah. And then I, and then I just kept looking at Tekken and I saw Bob. Who's like four hundred pounds, and I'm like, there we go. That's there it. There we go. I'm, I'm closer to this guy. <laughs> no, I would have to like triple in size to become Bob, which I don't really want to do. But it's like blonde, role, blonde male characters with facial hair. It's those two. Um, dang, man, so, dude. I used to dress like Leon Kennedy for Halloween in high school because I'm also blonde, and uh, he's the cos- he's the go-to cosplay character for uh, people who are fans of horror. And you're blonde, and you're young, and you can still fit into uh, smaller clothes. <laughs> Leon's my number three or, or two or one actually, because um, Leon his his blondness changes, but uh, four is is more blonde. 
I can do the hair. Uh, I, I I would need to get the costume, but that's fine. I can say no thanks, bro. That's easy. Yeah, there aren't many. I, lo- I love Leon. He's the best character. He died yesterday. What? Yeah, the voice actor for the original Leon. He died yesterday. What? Yep. From yeah. from wait, which which original? Two or four? Two. Hmm. It was. Uh, I did not know that. Yep. Uh, it is very sad. Um, Dang. Yeah. So you know. I'll, uh, I'll put in Amazing Grace or something. <laughs> Paul Haddad was his name. He passed away yesterday at fifty-six. Dang, that's so young. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's sad. It sucks. Um, you know, but we're keeping his memory alive by mentioning Leon in a, a podcast, which is you know hopefully when I go. People remember me as they talk about me in podcasts about video games, where they also talk about being too fat to cosplay as Wolverine. There, there we go. He would be honored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I, I'm a big fan of Leon. Um, Resident Evil Four is my favorite. Original opinion. Um, five was the first one I played. I'm a big fan of Five. Um, four is just incredible because it's 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 horror. It's like, you know, the zombies are gonna get you. There's a chainsaw. He's gonna cut your head off. But then it's also like, where'd everybody go? Bingo. Like. It's stupid, and that's the best part, is that it's completely goofy, but it takes itself serious, and it's like still horror, and it's like scary, and it's great. Somebody yeah, mentioned that... that they're gonna. Somebody mentioned that they're gonna do a remake of four, and I dread to see what um, that little kid, that that short guy, is gonna look like photorealistic. What is his name? Oh, the. Uh... What I don't remember his name. Ramon his right hand Salazar. comes off. Yeah, Salazar. Salazar, thank you. Yeah. I, I, I love uh, I love this game so much. He's like, I'm going to send my right hand after you. And he's like, your right hand comes off? It's like, Leon, yes, thank you. I love this game. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the first one where anybody in Resident Evil uh, does a suplex, right? Yep, that is... Uh, that, and that one had the best mercenaries mode. I played... So much Resident Evil 4 in the day. I got an ungodly amount. I, I love that game because that was back whenever um, you unlocked everything in a game. Yeah. It's like, you know, a DLC and expansions are cool, but it's like this game has like six game modes. Whenever you turn it on, you just get one. Yeah. And you unlock it, and you're like, I get two more stories. I get three more of these. Like, I thought I was done. Well, to be fair, the, uh, the Ada story, the separate ways, came in a new edition of the game on the PS2, which then in all future editions of the game came built in. So, you know, if we're going to talk about DLCs, like there were versions of the game that had more content than others, um, which is, you know, just kind of how they used to do games. You, you, you port it to a new thing and you have new stuff as opposed to now where you just port it. Um, but, you know, that is that is really, really cool. But yeah, you are correct. It's like if you wanted to get the unlimited ammo hand cannon, you had to get five stars mercenaries with every character on every map. And that was hard, but it was fucking awesome when you when you learned how to do it. God, I, I played so much of that game. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I... So first off, if you want to read about the, the Resident Evil rumors, uh, you can find all about it on Dread XP, where I wrote an article about the Resident Evil 4 rumors, um, where I recap it. Um... But I think that the rumors at this point are pretty... Okay, I don't necessarily think the, the rumors are, themselves are credible. Um, they said that 2M Games is the one that are making it, and they said that the 2Ms uh, were for the... Ugh, I can't remember their names, but the original director of Resident Evil 4 was going to work on it, but he's doing now Ghostwire Tokyo for Bethesda. And I was like, there's no way he'd launch a new studio to make one game and then go work on a different game, you know? Um, but... Uh, 
<clears throat> basically, uh, it, it's pretty fucking undoubted that they're going to make a Resident Evil 4 remake. You know? It's like they made Resident Evil 2, they made Resident Evil 3, which is their most popular one, is Resident Evil 4. Of course they're going to do that. Yeah. Uh, the, the consensus I've seen on Twitter is like, hey, please do not do this. We we will pay you to not remake 4. It's already perfect. Like, it could only be worse from here. I'm not I'm not against making new versions of things um, because it doesn't, like, stop the original from existing. Exactly. Which is true. Um, it's like with all the, like, Disney live-action remake, it's like, here's an Aladdin again. I'm like, I already have Aladdin. Like, I, I mean, if you like it, sure, great, good for you. I don't care. I'm going to go, you know, watch the original. I'm going to go play through RE4 again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like you said, it doesn't stop you from enjoying the original. I guess there's just more. It's more out there. You're not forced to play it. If you want to play it, then do it. Um, but yeah, it's not like tarnishing what already exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just adding it to the conversation. You can't bring up, you know, Resident Evil two or three now without mentioning the remake. And if the remake is bad, then that just gets lumped into the the pile. Oh, the most annoying part is that when you're writing about it now, you have to do Resident Evil uh, two brackets 1989 as opposed oh. to just yeah. Being oh, over. I, I, I greatly dislike that i have uh, like a vendetta against um remakes of stuff being remakes or sequels or whatever reboots being called the same name as the first one like doom just just real quick i I know it's resident evil 2 1998 which is why before the fucking resident evil nerds jumped on my throat about saying 89 instead i know when it came out sorry (laughs) you gotta keep the resident evil nerds at bay they're everywhere well, it's just that Daymare 1998 was named after when Resident Evil 2 came out because the guy that was the voice actor of Leon collaborated on Daymare, so that's the whole thing. Gotcha. Like, <laughs> know, right? it was like, how the fuck did I get here in my life that this is something I know? Uh, I got mad at Doom 2016 because it was just called Doom. I'm like, hey, we already have Doom. We've had Doom for 20 years. Like, call it Doom 5, dude. Like, come on. Yeah. And then they made I... Doom 2 2, and it's like, all right, see ya. <laughs> there's there's so many there's so many of those like resident final fantasy 7 remake like th- that that's clear what that is like good name um but resident evil 2 is like bro that we already have that one call it something yeah. else call it resident evil 2 subtitle or something i don't know i have a lot of opinions they, they're, they're all stinky <laughs> doom eternal trying to think of how how to make the word the title the worst ever? <laughs> Doomy Tunnel. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, are you, are you playing any games recently that you like? Uh, Mountain Blade Two Bannerlord. That's the big one. Fuck Been waiting a long shit. time for that. Fuck that nerd shit. Ted, did you hey. ever get a code for it? Uh, I emailed them yesterday, oh. or I'm seeing about it. I I met them at E3 probably four years ago, Thank but they're the being Lord. managed by a different uh, PR company now. Well, that's why I was like. Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord finally came out because when I saw it at E3 like four years ago, they were like, it's going to be out this summer. I, yeah, it's They've been, been in saying that for like 11 years. Yeah, it's been yeah, in development right? for a decade. Yeah, it's a tale as old as time. Yeah. Uh, it's just like when you have a game that's been being in development for eight years, it's impossible to meet expectations. I know people are liking Bannerlord, but a lot of people are also not liking it. It's also early access and just came out. It's like 100% beta, um, which they've said like, hey, there's going to be problems. Like, hang with us yeah. and what there is now i super love it yeah there's problems i don't really care because i get to play mountain blade 
And if something's horribly broken, it's going to get fixed. I'm not super concerned about it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just a big fan. Yes, I am a big nerd, but I mean, but so are you. That's why we're here. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I'm I'm a huge nerd for all kinds of things. I just like I played the original Mountain Blade back when it was uh like before it was like even like a full game yet. I remember I bought it on their web. Remember when you had to like go to websites to buy games and you would like put in your like Minecraft. We had to buy it on like Mojang.com for like twenty bucks and, uh, and yeah, and, and, and the websites in Swedish. Yeah, and and then whenever you buy it, it like sends an alert to your mom's bank account that like there's fraudulent activity through Sweden. I'm like, <laughs> mom, mom, it's okay. That thirteen dollars was from me. Yeah, I paid thirteen dollars. It was an alpha. What's up? <laughs> yeah, I paid. Uh, what was it? Yeah, the Mountain Blade the demo, and then you would go into the town, and like everyone was still a posing. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, god, good old days. Um, Man, there's still some good stuff like that in Bannerlord. Like you'll be talking to someone, and they're like, "Tell me a little bit about yourself," and then they say, "This is a generic backstory," and you're like, "You know what? You're hired." <laughs> it's like it's it's beautiful. Mountain Blade has like a vast history of jank, what we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's just part of the appeal. It's like I, I, I want to see some stupid garbage like that happening in my game. It's beautiful. It is a very fine line between tolerable jank and intolerable jank. And uh, bringing it back to the, the topic at hand, uh, I think that the game in the Dreadx collection that most finely rides that line would be uh, the one game by... Uh, uh, soda drinker pro who I, I brought in specifically because he rides that line of jank yes yes i had to, I had to remember for a second like what his game was rock um, yeah yes that one um yeah i haven't i haven't played that one yet i need to i need to play that one i've been oh. really busy making my game i haven't really played anyone else's yet so Will, uh, the showrunner productions guy, Will, his, his game is called Rot Gut. And uh, you might remember, everyone will probably know him from when he made Soda Drinker Pro, which is a weird-ass, fucking surreal, trippy game about drinking soda that has a huge cult following. And um, Will is like a really, really nice guy. Um, and I, but he's, uh, he's, he's, all of his ideas are, are like crazy and I love it. Um, that's why I brought him on. And so I was playing rot gut and it's like this really weird game where you're just like walking down, uh, a, a abandoned tunnel really. And, uh, I finally got to the end and I was like, okay, what do I do? And it was like, not exactly sure what I do. And then like very slowly, I was just walking around for like 10 minutes and then something happened. I don't want to spoil it. And I was like, okay, that was weird. I mean, it's compellingly weird, but there's a lot of jank in there, and it was very like unsettling, because there's only there were only like six scares in it, and when they came, I was like really not expecting them, and I, I think that's effective, but it's it's bold because you, you know, the kind of the traditional sense is to try to pack as many scares in as once. And then I asked him, he's like, oh, which ending did you get? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, there are six. I was like, what are you talking about? How are there six nice. endings in the game about walking down a hallway? And he's like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, so he's going to get the next build to us soon because uh, he was having some problems with the graphics on it. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited for people to be able to play that one because I think that it it it's one of those that when you first... It's it's easy to dismiss it when you first play it as being too buggy, but then when you play it, you're like, oh, wait, maybe this is like part of the charm. It's a feature, yes. Goat Simulator, it's a feature, not a bug. Man, a I've known a few... I've known a few people that that kind of reminds me of where you're like, they just come up with these ideas and you're like, what on earth like made you have that idea? Like, who are you? Um, and it's always, it's always great. Like being with those people with creative stuff like this, because you never know what's going to come out, especially if the guy made soda drinker pro, like obviously um, he's, he's doing it. 
Um, but it's mm. great. I, I think I saw, I watched one of the videos he posted of like the in progress and I saw the ending at the time I was like worrying about my ending. And I was like, is my ending like good enough? Probably not still, but I saw his and I was like, if, if that's an ending of a horror game, I think I can do mine. I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> um, that might've been the, the least exciting one though. There might be five crazy ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just have to play it and find out. Yeah, well, now that you you know you're basically you've got some release build out, you can go and see how everyone is. It's c- kind of cool. I, I said this in one of the previous podcasts is that everyone keeps saying that they feel like they have imposter syndrome working with all these giants. But the funny thing is, is that every single person has said that. You know, like they all <laughs> feel like the people that they're working with are super talented, and I think that's probably because everyone on this project is super talented. Well, it doesn't matter how talented you are. Imposter syndrome uh, doesn't care. No. You could be, you, you know, the CEO of Microsoft, and you're like, "What am I doing here? It, it's, it, what's going on?" Yeah, what you need is a narcissistic level of confidence, and and as Jesse can attest from seeing me work at a, uh, uh, PAX, I have almost a uh, like a suicidal level of confidence. Not suicidal, <laughs> but like, no fear for my own life. What's that called when you have no fear for your own life? Um, but anyways, like I'll just like walk up to developers and I'll be like, "Show me your game now," <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, cool." Um. And like this project came together by just I just called people and I was like I've never met you but you want to make a game and they were like yeah sure I guess yeah I in particular with like the ending of a horror game is where I have some more insecurities like if you've played Earl's Day Off the ending is all right um, you know this is the developer speaking I ran out of time on that ending um, this was made during that six hours uh, the night before it was like over. And I was like, we need to get an ending out here. Uh, whenever we finish the game, we can make this um, scary. Uh, <laughs> the game has like one scare in it, and it's effective. It's a good scare. We we like it. <clears throat> That's just the only one. And the the plan for the game originally was to have like a bunch of those like throughout, and they get like crazier. We had time to put in one. Um, so whenever you like see Markiplier play it, and he's like, this game's okay. Oh gosh, now I'm scared. And it's like. If it was that the whole time, that would be cool, and that's what we were planning on doing. That's what we plan to do in the future once we uh, get time to like not do other stuff, including like regular life that gets in the way constantly. Um, so I, I have I have hopes and dreams for Earl's Day Off to actually be cool, cooler. <laughs> um, that's that's my one credit of horror games and my one horror ending I've done. Um, this one, we'll see. We'll see what the people say about it. Um, yeah. I think that people are going to like it, though. I think that uh, it's got a really unique style. It's got a really unique idea. And, um, you know, as part of... I, I think that people are going to uh, see the... I think that people are going to like it. I just want to keep it leave it at that because I don't want to say too much about it before people have a chance to actually play it. Mm-hmm. I think the strong points are definitely the aesthetic. The, yeah. the, the art style and the music, especially. Uh, I ain't no songwriter, but um, it's atmospheric. I like it. It's atmospheric, yeah. Um, atmospheric, I think, is the keyword for my game. Sometimes I was like, is this even scary? Like, does anyone care? It's like, ah, who cares? It's Put it in there. Call it a horror game. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Reed, uh, I think we actually have to get going now because I still have work to do, and I just realized we've been doing this for an hour and a half. <laughs> oh. oh, we have. Sweet. Yeah, cool. Jesus. There you go. I know, right? That was pretty easy. So, uh, Reed, do you have anything else you want to say to um, all the people out there? Uh, buy our game. Give us your money. You're not using yeah. it. <laughs> Follow yeah. Torpal Duke on Twitter. 
follow Torpal Duke on Twitter. Follow DreadXP on Twitter. Follow Airdorf on Twitter. He doesn't actually no, don't follow him. He doesn't need more followers. He's fine. Uh, He's follow fine. me instead. Yeah, I know. Well, if you're I, following, I post stuff sometimes. If you're following Airdorf, who probably retweeted this podcast because he's a good friend, you should also follow Torpal Duke. All of his followers will now follow you instantly. Bro, if you follow Airdorf, you're already going to know who I am because I retweet everything he posts. <laughs> I, I've done it for years. Yeah. Like I said, I was there for every step of faith. I'm like, the, I'm the biggest fan. I'm in, I'm in the credits. Um, I'm in the credits as the Faith Fan Club. Nice. Uh, but yeah, um, very active on his Twitter more than mine. Yeah, well, that's about to change. Yeah, it's, it's cool to see the kind of the cooperation that's been going on between all the devs and seeing them retweeting each other's stuff and kind of, you know, building a cannibalizing each other's audience is the way I'll put it. Yes. Uh, anyways, Come to me. <laughs> go to go to Torpal Duke. He's got some great games. I'm really excited for everyone to be able to see what we got coming up with the DreadX collection. Uh, like I said, there's a link to that in the description below where you can learn all about the devs that we have, the games we have coming out, just everything about it. So uh, go ahead and give that a click. Give it a read. We're also doing a giveaway for Dusk right now. This will probably go out before the giveaway for Dusk is done. So if you head on over to DreadXP, uh, you're probably already part of that giveaway. That already has like it's a zillion contestants at this point. So, yeah, just check it out. And, um, Reed, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, as always, if you want to hear any of our previous podcasts, you can find them on dreadxp.com. Uh, we uh, just had our podcast with Zelivir Nelson go up, uh, Strange Scaffold. We also have our uh, last, we also recently did one with uh, Kyle Frost, who is, uh, you know, the Classified X SCP Blackout. We also did uh, David Shemansky who did, uh, he's doing the Pony Factory for us, but he also made Dusk. Uh, so go ahead and check those out. It's a really cool, what we got going on here. So if you're a fan of horror, if you're a fan of indie horror, uh, I, I really think you're going to like what we, we've got going on here. So anyways, guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, we'll, we'll, you'll hear from us more very soon. we got to think five more devs we still have to interview. So plenty, plenty still coming up. So uh, thank you for listening, and uh, bye. And then it cuts. It's talking about um, this question that comes up. I've heard uh, people ask, you know, are video games art? Can video games be art?